0: creature won't quit till he's ahead you are listening to the quibbler podcast the harry potter book club for standout employees
1: what have i done setting a bleeding ourselves on me call him off call him off he should be locked up screamed Mundungus, cowering as creature raised the heavy bottom pan again creature no shouted harry Creature's thin arms trembled with the weight of the pans still held aloft. Perhaps just one more, Master Harry, for luck.
2: I'm Heather Price-Wright. And
0: I'm Alex Dallenberg.
2: And we are inching toward the middle and the, well, everything in this book is exciting and incredibly stressful, but inching toward kind of the best-known highlights of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. This week we are reading the chapters called The Bribe and Magic is Might, which, ugh, that slogan is triggering as hell. In this podcast you will hear spoilers and cursing, same old, same old, and some adult themes. This week's adult themes are Steakouts, the black market, home cooking, fake IDs, And regime change. So, Alex, my dear, tell us what happened this week.
0: In this week's chapters, Harry, Ron, and Hermione sit around eating moldy bread while they wait for Creature to bring back Mundungus Fletcher to figure out what he did with the Horcrux locket. Hermione tries to transfigure the bread so that it's something more palatable, but I don't really understand how that works. If you transfigure bread... Does it just taste different and still have the nutritional content of the bread? Or what are we talking about
2: here? I think she's just trying to transfigure the mold off of the bread. That was my impression. Isn't
0: transfiguration like turning something into something else? Yeah, I don't know. Shouldn't she be transfiguring the mold into jam or something?
2: Dude, that would be awesome.
0: But I mean, would it... Are you still technically eating mold?
2: I... Don't know. But it's
0: just like what what if you transfigured poison into something else? Would it still be poison?
2: It would just taste different. Or when
0: you eat it, does it then turn back into the mold after a certain amount of time? Or there's a lot these of these are all there's extremely a lot of good here,
2: questions. You know? We are in the first paragraph of the first chapter we are talking about, but yes. I I just have a lot
0: of questions around transfiguration and nutrition.
2: Yeah, transfiguration of food is a whole kettle of transfigured fish.
0: (laughs) You know, I'm thinking of something with transubstantiation, but...
2: (laughs) There's a joke in there about the body of Christ somewhere. Yeah, there's a
0: joke in there somewhere, but I just can't quite muster it. Anyway... There's a lot of sitting around eating moldy bread in in the first part of this chapter. Uh, You'd think Hermione would be better at this. Like, this does not seem that difficult. She She... turns fucking, like, gerbils into teacups or whatever.
2: I get the impression she's not great at household spells. Hmm. That's, like, not her forte. Fair enough. They need Mrs. Weasley for this, who's a queen of sort of like housekeeping spells. (laughs) Or apparently Fleur de la mom is great at this. How
0: long has this bread been there? No one's been in this house for months. This this must be moldy as hell. Yeah. Not just, I mean, mostly mold, like 90% mold, 10% bread at this point.
2: Actually, most of the main questions and quibbles I have about their time at Grimold Place is how are you not starving to death? But we will get to that.
0: So everyone is just trying to pass the time. Ron keeps playing with the Deluminator, nay, put outer, and it's really getting on Hermione's nerves because she's trying to read Tales of Beetle the Bard, but I really relate to Ron's fidgetiness here. This is something I would do as That well.
2: I can attest to. <laughs> you can attest to. attest to that? And it would drive me nuts. So the
0: Deluminator, it's also just a fidget spinner.
2: <laughs> that is a dated joke.
0: Is it? I actually have a fidget spinner at my desk.
2: Do you fidget with it? Yes,
0: I fidget with it constantly. <laughs> oh
2: my god, you're such a teen.
0: I need to be doing something with my hands. I while do I'm, know that, actually. Thinking.
2: You guys should see how much Alex gesticulates during these summaries. I keep having to grab his hands so he doesn't like whap the computer off the desk or like hit our mic really hard, because it's like watching a dictator give a speech. <laughs> His hands are all over the place.
0: I guess we should record it sometime, probably. Yeah. There's a live stream way back from book like three. 3. Yeah. There's a Prisoner of Azkaban live. Stream. I guess
2: we could do that again. Let us know if you're interested in us doing like a Facebook Live of us recording.
0: But then you have to listen to all the stuff that we cut out, so.
2: Which might be a lot of what we're doing right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Anyway, getting back to what actually matters, which is Harry Potter content. Remus Lupin eventually shows up. He's got news of the outside world and butterbeers, so way to show up with beverages, Lupin.
2: Never show up empty-handed. Yeah,
0: this is the best thing Lupin does in this chapter. It only goes downhill from the butterbeer uh, moment. We learned that there were no deaths at the wedding, but the members of the Order are being watched. The
2: I actually, can we stop there for a yeah. minute? Why didn't the Death Eaters just kill the Weasleys for the hell of it? They interrogated them for hours. Why didn't they kill them? I don't understand why the Weasleys aren't all dead.
0: Because they're trying to do this, I think it's because they're trying to do this coup and Arthur is like a relatively high ranking ministry official and it would just raise more questions.
2: I guess so. And I Arthur's don't also, find it very believable that they leave the entire Weasley family alive. I
0: think Arthur's protected by his pureblood status. It would look like really bad if they knocked him off.
2: That's fair. Okay. Go on.
0: Just, just a thought. Yeah, because Arthur still somehow maintains his job at the Ministry throughout all of this.
2: Yeah, that is weird. Maybe I mean, they want to keep a, an eye on him.
0: I think that, and yeah, it would just would raise too many questions.
2: Fair. Fair.
0: Because they're trying to kind of do this on the sly or keep some deniability that the government is legitimate. You know? It would it would engender more resistance.
2: Fair. Okay. Got that's it. my
0: theory. But the Death Eaters are still like beating down doors of order members and torturing people to get information about Harry Potter, who is now a wanted man. He's wanted for questioning about the death of Albus Dumbledore. So that's fucked up. Lupin says We've kind of touched on this, but Lupin explains that the Death Eaters and the Ministry of Magic are basically one and the same now. Did I do that right? Voldemort's puppet, Pious Thickness, is now the Minister. This is also given the Death Eaters' access to all kinds of badass Ministry magic, which is how they were able to penetrate all the defenses of Order of the Phoenix of the Order members' houses. The Ministry of Magic has done like a 180 on most of its policies, and people suspect that Voldemort probably has something to do with it, but everybody is freaked out and suspicious of each other, so that's preventing a major resistance movement from taking hold in the Ministry. We also learn that Muggleborns are being forced to register themselves, The Department of Mysteries allegedly has produced research that magic can only be passed between wizards, so they are bringing in Muggleborns for questioning about how they obtained their magic, whether they did it by theft or force. Also, attendance is now compulsory at Hogwarts because Voldemort wants to keep an eye on the young wizarding community. Lupin asks Harry if Dumbledore has given him a mission and if he can know about it. Harry says, nah, I probably can't tell you, because Dumbledore didn't tell me I could. Lupin then asks if he can go with Harry, Ron, and Hermione anyway, and I guess sort of like be kept in the dark about it, but also go along to like be their werewolf bodyguard. Hermione asks, what about Tonks? Lupin says, what about her, in sort of a cold voice. He says it was a mistake to marry Tonks and it was a mistake to have a kid and that they're going to have to live in shame because of their connection to him, a werewolf, and he's super freaked out that he's going to pass on, I guess, the werewolf gene to his child, so... But
2: werewolfism isn't genetic.
0: Well, we don't really know.
2: And that's true, because usually werewolves don't...
0: He feels like...
2: ...breed, as he calls it, which is a really insulting thing to say about your spouse. Well,
0: he's got a a lot of self-loathing, so Lupin wants to go with Harry and the gang on their Voldemort mission. Harry berates Lupin for wanting to abandon his wife and child. He says that my dad wouldn't have wanted you to do that. He calls Lupin a coward. It's a really bad scene. Lupin eventually storms out after, like, slamming Harry into a cupboard via magic. He, like, strikes Harry. Yeah, it's not great. It's, it's a bad scene. So, anyway, that fucking happens... To distract himself, Harry reads the Daily Prophet. Always a bad idea if you want to feel better. There's an excerpt from Rita Skeeter's new biography of Albus Dumbledore. The passage describes the Dumbledore's family's move to Godric's Hollow. Kendra Dumbledore moved the family there after her husband was arrested for attacking muggles. In Godric's Hollow, the family really kept to themselves, and it seems pretty clear that Dumbledore's younger sister, Ariana, was a squib, and she moved to Godric's Hollow because it was a better place to keep her out of sight. And the boys would just tell everyone that she was too frail to attend school, and this deepens Harry's desire to go to Godric's Hollow. Creature eventually returns with Mundungus. They interrogate him. Creature beats him with a copper pot. Boy, these chapters aren't that funny. There's the moldy bread, and then everything is gloomy as hell. And creature, mul- eating moldy bread is eating moldy bread is not that funny.
2: Creature beating Mundungus over the head with a copper pot actually is pretty funny. That
0: is a hilarious uh, bit. Mundungus reveals that he gave the locket away while he was selling the stolen goods from Sirius's house on Diagon Alley because he got because he was questioned by a witch from the Ministry about selling magical artifacts without a license. So he bribed her with the locket, which she took a shine to, to get out of a fine. Mundungus tells Harry that she was wearing a bow on her head and looked like a toad. Harry then realizes that the woman with the locket, the Horcrux locket, was none other than... ba Motherfucking Dolores Umbridge! Oh no! Has returned! What? So, they've got a fucking mission. August wears on... The trio start casing out the Ministry of Magic, trying to form a plan to infiltrate the Ministry and get to Umbridge and the Locket. Meanwhile, the Death Eaters have staked out Grimwald Place, although they can't get in. It turns out that Harry doesn't have the trace on him. The Death Eaters have just been staking out places with any connection to Harry Potter, although we still don't know how they found them on Tottenham Court Road, which I don't remember. But we'll learn eventually, I guarantee it.
2: I think it's if you say Voldemort's name out loud.
0: Yeah, something like that.
2: It's it's connected to saying Voldemort.
0: But we don't remember. (laughs) I have only read this book once. This is the second time.
2: Yeah, I think that's true for me too. I don't think I reread this one.
0: I'm loving this book so far. Yeah,
2: it's really fun. It's super stressful
0: it's fucking action-packed
2: totally they're all action-packed this one is more. this is
0: particularly
2: action-packed
0: we also learn from the daily prophet that snape has been appointed headmaster of hogwarts whoa once hermione finds this out she grabs the portrait of phineas nigellus off the wall and shoves it in into her magic bottomless handbag so that he can't spy on them for snape because remember the portrait of phineas connects to his portrait in Dumbledore, well now Snape's office, in the Headmaster's office at Hogwarts also the Carrow brother and sister, are they twins? The Carrow twins? I don't know, the Carrow siblings they've taken over the Muggle Studies and Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher positions
2: I don't understand why they even still have Muggle Studies.
0: It's because they're now teaching that Muggles are like disgusting and awful. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah that's great. <laughs> Creature's affect has totally changed. He's now, he's wearing tidy white tea towels. He's, like, cleaned his ear hair. It's looking very, <laughs> it's looking very cottony, you know? I Does he do that himself, or does he go to, like, the house elf ear barber?
2: Who knows? I, I think I, he probably does it himself. I
0: think so, too. Yeah. So he's got, Creature's fucking shampooed his ears um, he's got Grimille Place looking spick and span. He makes the trio but 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 motherfucking French onion soup.
2: Our favorite.
0: It's like the best French onion soup Harry's ever had, and frankly, it made me hungry for French onion soup. This is the second appearance of French onion soup in these books. The last time it
2: appeared, we made it, so we maybe we have, we have to, to make, make some again. again. Yeah.
0: Well, it wasn't. It was called just onion soup before, but I think it was probably French onion soup. What other kind of onion soup are you gonna make?
2: I don't have an answer to that question. So I
0: don't know. Creatures out here fucking doing better homes and gardens. And he's made Grimold Place downright homey. At some point the trio realize it's September 1st and they won't be on the train back to Hogwarts. That's fucking sad. At dinner, Harry gets a vision from Voldemort. Voldemort is he's going to this fucking house somewhere in I think Germany. He's looking for the wand maker Grigorovich. Voldemort, it seems like just walks up to this person's house, this family's house, and like knocks on the door. Seems very. I don't know. It's like dramatic and not that dramatic. <laughs> it's just, it's hilarious to imagine Voldemort doing something so mundane. It's like ringing the fucking doorbell and then waiting for someone to answer. Anyway, he murders this whole fucking family because they don't, won't tell him where Grigorovich is. Harry wonders why Voldemort is looking for a wand maker. Hermione implores him to close his mind to Voldemort because it's what Dumbledore would have wanted. Harry says, I'm not gonna do it, this is my decision. Harry sees an advantage in knowing Voldemort's plans. The trio decide to go ahead with their plan to infiltrate the ministry. They're like, we're as prepared as we're ever going to be. They ambush Mafalda Hopkirk outside the entrance to the ministry. She works for the improper use of magic office. Remember her? She sent the uh, notice to Harry after he uh, used the Patronus charm.
2: No, she sent them notice after Dobby after the pudding. dropped the pudding. Oh. Maybe both. May I think both. she's the tracking of Underage Wizard. Damn person well
0: anyway mafalda we know her name uh also they intercept a magical maintenance man who hermione gives a puking pastille to well disguised as mafalda hopkirk using polyjuice potion they're disguising themselves as ministry employees using polyjuice potion so this fucking poor guy he throws up everywhere he like projectile vomits all over the fucking alley And eventually, Hermione as Mafalda is able to convince him not to go to work, even though he keeps insisting that he has to go to work this day of all days. So that's concerning. Harry also disguises himself as a super swole wizard named Runcorn that they get some hairs from. This whole plan is very elaborate.
2: As it has to be.
0: And it relies a lot on Weasley's Wizard Wheezes supplies, which is pretty (laughs) awesome. They use tokens taken from Mafalda Hopkirk to enter the Ministry of Magic via pay toilets in the London Underground,
2: it seems like. Gross.
0: Yeah, so the Flu Network has been replaced by the poo Network.
2: <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> That's terrible.
0: Once inside the Ministry of Magic, they see that Lovo has had H.R. Geiger redecorate the place. Oh my god. There's a freaky statue of a wizard and witch sitting on thrones of human bodies with the slogan, Magic is Might, underneath. Ron, dressed as the Magical Maintenance Man, named... That's what he is, right? It's a magical maintenance man. He's from the Department of Magical Maintenance. He's a fucking magic janitor. He's confronted by the Death Eater Yaxley, who is now the head of magical law enforcement. Ron is disguised as this guy named Cattermole. Anyway, Yaxley says he needs his office fixed now. It's raining in there. He threatens Cattermole because he's about to go and interrogate his wife, who is suspected of being muggle-born. So, that's fucking dark. Also in the Ministry Elevators, uh, Harry, it seems, is disguised as either a Death Eater or someone Death Eater sympathetic. Somebody whispers to Harry about outing an employee at the Goblin Liaison Office as a muggle-born in order to get their job. So, there's there's a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of changes in the Ministry of Magic, so to speak. Ron wanting to protect this innocent woman from Yaxley's rage goes off to try to fix this rain situation, even though he really has no idea how to do it. And uh, Harry and Hermione proceed off to the level for the Minister for Magic, and there they see her, Dolores Umbridge, as they're getting off the elevator. And that's what happens in this week's chapters.
2: A thing I want to start with is this creature transformation. First of all, seriously, where is all this food coming from? (laughs) The main question I had in the last two chapters was how are they not going to starve to death? There's no food in this house and obviously they can't go grocery shopping.
0: They can't just run down to like the Grimald Place bodega or whatever. What do they call them in? They're not bodegas in London.
2: No, they can't just like run to get a bacon, egg, and cheese on a roll. (laughs) Not an option. So I guess Creature does the shopping for them. Do you think there's house elf only markets? Like do you think there's a special place for house elves First of all, where's the money coming from? Who's paying for all this food? I think
0: the blacks are just rich as heck, right? There's probably just gold lying around.
2: Is there? It doesn't seem... We haven't seen that. It seems like they'd sort of fallen from grace.
0: I mean, I don't know. There's probably enough. We know that a fucking cat can go to Gringotts and, like, take a withdrawal, so...
2: Right, so I guess maybe Creature has access to their vault in Gringotts. Yeah. But... I'm just really mystified as to how and who is providing food.
0: Yeah, you'd think people would be also watching Creature, but...
2: Yeah, that's the confusing thing, is the Death Eaters are well aware of Creature, because Creature played a pivotal role in the attack on the Ministry in Book 5.
0: Maybe just nobody gives a shit about what house elves are up to. Or
2: maybe they just think house elves all look the same and they can't tell that it's Creature. Even
0: though Creature's super distinctive, well, he has I mean, ear beards.
2: He's washed his face, so that's true. he probably he looks be... completely different. <laughs> but I wonder if he goes to the regular wizard supermarket or if there is some kind of house elf only network for household goods.
0: Maybe it's just like Fresh Direct or something. He's getting (laughs) that shit ordered.
2: Everybody's like, why are all these Amazon Now packages or whatever?
0: (laughs) Arriving at the empty spot. Is that
2: called Amazon Now? Is that a thing?
0: I don't know what it's called. Whatever. The same day delivery. This is pre-Amazon. This is 1997, man. You can't order groceries online. Yeah, there's no Fresh Direct. This doesn't exist. I think maybe he's just like putting on... Some fucking glasses or something and going to the grocery store. Like the human grocery store. Not the human. The muggle grocery store. He's getting... He's an
2: elf. He can't go to the muggle grocery store. If you
0: get three other house elves and a trench coat...
2: That's how they're doing it.
0: That's how he's shopping. That's all you need to do.
2: There is some really fucked up wish fulfillment in Creatures About Face here because... You're sort of supposed to think in this chapter as how sick it would be to have a house elf. And I just want to reiterate, this is an enslaved being. I
1: know! The kitchen was almost unrecognizable. Every surface now shone. Copper pots and pans had been burnished to a rosy glow. The wooden tabletop gleamed. The goblets and plates already laid for dinner glinted in the light from a merrily blazing fire on which a cauldron was simmering. Nothing in the room, however, was more dramatically different than the house elf, who now came hurrying toward Harry, dressed in a snowy white towel, his ear hair as clean and fluffy as cotton wool, Regulus's locket bouncing on his thin chest. Shoes off, if you please, Master Harry, and hands washed before dinner, croaked creature, seizing the invisibility cloak and slouching off to hang it on a hook on the wall. Beside a number of old-fashioned roads that had been freshly laundered.
0: Hermione, super against house elf enslavement, but that French onion soup, on the other hand, pretty fucking tasty.
2: Yes, they have all become incredibly chill with Creature waiting on them hand and foot.
0: Ron fucking loves it. He says, ah, bless him.
2: (laughs) So the lesson here is clearly just be nice to your slaves.
0: And they'll like step it up i guess i i don't know i mean yeah the what rolling is going for is that being nice to creature has like unlocked this sympathetic cuddly awesome side but if you go beneath the surface of that even a little bit uh it gets pretty dark
2: it is not The best. But again, the existence of house elves basically breaks the moral universe of Harry Potter. So it's just hard to dwell there and still read these books.
0: And I can't, you know, I'm having like complicated reactions because I'm thinking, oh, what the fuck? I love Creature now. But it's kind of messed up the reasons why.
2: Also very easily forgiven for super duper killing Sirius.
0: Yeah, but that soup, man.
2: Yeah, I mean, God, (laughs) who can can fault them? It's
0: to fucking die for.
2: Creature is the reason they are staying alive. Like, Creature is not getting enough credit for being basically the sole reason Harry Potter survives this book. Harry survives because Creature knows where to get fucking food. (laughs) There is no food in this house. I just want to reiterate and Hermione is doing her best to transfigure the mold on bread. But that is only taking them so far. He even makes them treacle tart. The reason Harry ever makes it to the ministry to even get the locket to start his quest is because fucking creature is feeding him. Yeah. So we end up owing a lot to this house elf and ugh.
0: I do love when he goes bad cop on Mundungus. And so is funny. Fucking kicking the shit out of him with a <laughs> copper pot.
2: Mundungus is, I would say, the unsung villain of the Harry Potter series.
0: Dude, Mun fuckface Fletcher.
2: He has screwed them over in so many different ways. It's just like hard to fathom that this person is seen as even a sort of neutral, like a chaotic neutral character. He's a bad guy.
0: Yeah, I'm having a hard time getting at Mundungus' motivations, because he's a member of the Order of the Phoenix.
2: Is he really, or is he just somebody that they sort of keep as a connection? I
0: mean, I think it was sort of his best career prospect, right?
2: But the idea that they need someone on the underground because he, like, hears things, like, has never panned out. It's only ever fucked them over. Like, their whole excuse for Mundungus being useful is the reason Mundungus is such a fucking liability, is right. because he's so amoral.
0: Yeah, so he leaves Harry to get attacked by the Dementors in Order of the Phoenix. He ransacks Sirius's house and takes the Horcrux, which he then gives to Dolores Umbridge. I guess he didn't know it was the fucking Horcrux, but, but still. whatever. He bails on Moody at the moment of like most dire peril. And. Not that he would have stood a chance against.
2: We're pretty sure he's the reason the Death Eaters knew about the plan in the first place. Oh, yeah. He's the source. Oh, God. Dude, Mundungus Fletcher should definitely not survive this story.
0: I don't know if he does, I don't remember.
2: Well, I feel isn't bad that, that I
0: have to keep saying I don't remember. Isn't
2: that just the the chorus of this?
0: We're on a journey season
2: of hair of of this season of the Quibbler. We're on a
0: journey of discovery of rediscovery.
2: It's actually pretty fun to me, but I'm sure you all are screaming at us through your headphones. It so happens. sorry about that. At least we're admitting we don't remember and not. I mean, we are also just making shit up, but we are letting you know that we have gaps in our memory. So forgive us. Also, speaking of people that are just so frustrating in these chapters, fucking Remus Lupin, who, until book seven, I think is in my top three or four favorite characters and has really profoundly fallen from grace. Yeah,
0: this moment really threw me for a Lupin.
2: Oh, God.
1: Harry, I'm sure James would have wanted me to stick with you. Well said Harry slowly. I'm not. I'm pretty sure my father would have wanted to know why you aren't sticking with your own kid, actually. Lupin's face drained of color. The temperature in the kitchen might have dropped ten degrees. Ron stared around the room as though he had been bidden to memorize it, while Hermione's eyes swiveled backward and forward from Harry to Lupin. You don't understand, said Lupin at last. Explain, then, said Harry. Lupin swallowed. I, I made a grave mistake in marrying Tonks. I did it against my better judgment, and I have regretted it very much ever since. I see, said Harry. So you're just gonna dump her and the kid and run off with us? Lupin sprang to his feet. His chair toppled over backward, and he glared at them so fiercely that Harry saw, for the first time ever, the shadow of the wolf upon his human face.
0: Yeah, I'm bummed at the way that Lupin disappoints us here because obviously he's just, yeah, he's one of my favorite heroes from the books. and
2: Also Harry's most reliable father figure other than uh, Arthur Weasley, I would right. say. Right, so
0: it's, it's really hard to watch this happen, but I think it's narratively important because it's another peeling away of Harry's support system and another moment of Harry realizing that he has to depend on himself. The people he's looked up to are imperfect and not always in the right. And yeah, it's just Harry becoming an adult, which I think is highlighted in an interesting way by him addressing Professor Lupin as Remus. And the same goes for Hermione. They're kind of on equal footing now.
2: I mean, more than equal footing. Honestly, Harry is much more important to the mission of the Order as an adult like not as a tool but as an actor than Lupin is and Lupin is feeling among other things sort of superfluous to this movement but also Lupin is just this is it's so out of character for Lupin not to think about how the choices that he's making will impact Harry in terms of abandoning his child like one of Harry's deep fears is being abandoned by parental figures because he's a fucking orphan and his parental figures keep fucking dying. So watching Lupin abandon his child is obviously fundamentally sort of breaks Harry's trust in him. And Lupin's really perceptive. And I don't understand how Lupin doesn't see how this affects Harry. So
0: do you think this choice is not well motivated by Rowling? Like, is it actually out of character or... No. Have we seen cause in my mind I think we've seen him kind of unraveling over the last couple books. Maybe not maybe unraveling is not the right word, but we've seen this strain of his identity and all the terrible things happening in the world and like the stress of being in this movement. And uh, we we we're kind of seeing the toll that's taking on him, and I think I think this is a natural breaking point. Yeah, I don't think it's
2: that it's not well motivated. I just think that it's very tragic. And you're right that one of the main themes here is Harry losing even the strongest connections he has in the world. And becoming more and more alone. And Lupin is a big loss. But Lupin's reaction here is shocking. When Lupin physically harms Harry.
0: Yeah, that's fucking wild. It's
2: very, very startling and upsetting. That's a really, really, really bad, bad is such a sort of useless word, but it's a really hard moment.
0: But there's that really great line where Harry sees the shadow of the wolf for the first time.
2: Yeah, that is. That's a really nice description. And also, I mean, okay, even if Harry wasn't reacting to Lupin's really immoral decision to abandon his wife and child. Do you really want to bring a guy with a death wish along on such a critical and delicate mission as this? No, Lupin is not going to be useful.
0: Yeah, he's being very erratic here, and Harry perceptively accuses him of acting like Sirius, which is another sign of growth for Harry's character, because before Sirius could do no wrong in Harry's eyes.
2: Right. Harry is developing a deep understanding of the fallibility of everyone around him and Harry also has this really interesting internal battle around how his dad would react.
0: I think this is sad for another reason and that's because it's another moment of the grown marauders projecting their feelings for James onto Harry and not treating Harry as his own person because I think Lupin is expecting like the, Harry to act like the teenage James and be like yeah it'll be a great romp Well,
2: and Lupin is sort of... And and I think Harry has an appropriately angry reaction to the idea that this is a romp. That he's going on an adventure. He's like, this is fucking life and death. Like, this isn't a cool adventure that you would get to go on as a... First of all, we're teenagers and you're a grown-up. This is pathetic.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Like, this is truly a low. But also what I'm doing, what Harry's doing is not fun. And Lupin is kind of like, oh, I like want to get back out there and have a little fun and mix it up. And Harry's like, what do you think is happening right now? Go be a fucking dad and a grown up. Yeah. And Lupin's immaturity is really frustrating to Harry, who really trusted him as a stable adult. There's no stable adults in this book anymore. I mean, which is a great lesson because there's no stable adults, period. And that's a thing you start to figure out when you're 17. You're like, wow, all the grown-ups are just as fucked up as I am.
0: Yeah, and I think that that makes this a really satisfying theme to end this book series on, this coming-of-age tale.
2: Well, and it's interesting because she does a really nice job of teasing that out. I have a lot of problems with Cursed Child's plot but the profound fallibility of the adult hero, the adult versions of the heroes of the seven books, is really nicely rendered. Mm-hmm. So we get a full circle of Harry being a fucked up grown up after after having to deal with all the fucked up grown ups in his youth. Hey, see,
0: these books are pretty good sometimes.
2: Yeah, we don't hate them. <laughs> I, I far from hate them. I just wish there weren't enslaved creatures. Oh,
0: it's interesting. I know. It's fodder for conversation.
2: Fair. This is a return to an eternal complaint of mine, and we don't have to spend very much time on it. But Ron and Hermione are so goddamn annoying together. They are just the worst. (laughs) They just can't stop fighting. But at the same time, when Harry even lightly criticizes Hermione, which sometimes Hermione deserves, she's a little bit frantic... Ron is like, don't you dare talk to her that way. And it's like, shut up. You talk to her that way constantly. Oh, they drive me crazy. They're know. so irritating.
0: I don't know if I have much to add to this. Other than
2: it just sort of both of their characters individually are pretty fun. I know we dunk on Ron a lot, but Ron's fun and a good friend. But the combination is just so unfortunate. I can't stand them together. <laughs> it drives me. I mean, it will eternally drive me bananas i do think
0: it's hilarious when he's clicking the deluminator on and off and she's like why are you doing that and he's like dumbledore gave this to me he wanted me to use it (laughs) (laughs) what this is from dumbledore
2: maybe he wanted me to turn the lights on and off constantly
0: (laughs) we don't know (laughs) we're testing shit out man harry kissed that fucking snitch like
2: just in case we gotta try
0: everything you know it's like the legend of zelda puzzles where you're just fucking touching every stone for like hours because we have no idea what's next.
2: Apparently, reading this book is a lot like playing Legend of Zelda for you.
0: Uh, it is, frankly.
2: I've never played Legend it's of like, Zelda. It's like, how does this
0: deluminator fit into the puzzle?
2: We don't know. We genuinely don't know. We'll see, I guess.
0: Yeah, I. you can tell I'm an old millennial from all my references.
2: I mean, that's fine.
0: Yeah. So, let's get
2: political Let's get political, political. Yeah, I mean, ugh, fuck it, let's do this. Because <laughs> there's a lot here.
1: Muggleborn register, she read aloud. The Ministry of Magic is undertaking a survey of so-called Muggleborns, The better to understand how they came to possess magical secrets. Recent research undertaken by the Department of Mysteries reveals that magic can only be passed from person to person when wizards reproduce. Where no proven wizarding ancestry exists, therefore, the so-called Muggle-born is likely to have obtained magical power by theft or force. The Ministry is determined to root out such usurpers of magical power, and to this end has issued an invitation to every so-called Muggle-born to present themselves for interview by the newly appointed Muggle-born Registration Commission. People won't let this happen, said Ron. It is happening, Ron, said Lupin. Muggle-borns are being rounded up as we speak. But how are they supposed to have stolen magic? said Ron. It's mental. If you could steal magic, there wouldn't be any squibs, would there? I know, said Lupin. Nevertheless, unless you can prove that you have at least one close wizarding relative, you are now deemed to have obtained your magical power illegally and must suffer the punishment.
2: This is set of chapters and the policies that the Ministry of Magic is releasing under the Thickness regime are overly familiar if you're American or maybe from a lot of other places in 2019. So I don't want
0: to, you know what, fuck it. Let's just go completely read another book. Yeah. Not read another book. I guess it's the opposite of read another book. Um, it's let's- not
2: one-to-one.
0: So I don't think so. People dunk on Harry Potter political analogies on Twitter, and like, rightfully so. Sometimes they can be pretty facile. Yeah, uh,
2: and Voldemort is Trump is a facile take. And I don't think
0: that the I don't think Harry Potter is the Rosetta Stone for understanding politics or the news at any time in history. But let's give credit where credit is due. These books far predated this current global populist slash authoritarian moment. And I'm not going to say Rowling predicted it. I do think that in her plotting, she understands a lot about how these populist slash authoritarian regimes legitimize themselves and how quickly, just how quickly. Politics can turn on its heel. And when I first read these books, when did I read them? I think I read them during like the first Obama administration. It's been a while. When I first read these books, I found this dramatic transition in the ministry to be really unrealistic. I thought, well, like, how could you just change the fucking minister overnight and they're putting Death Eaters into jobs to do the opposite of their department like you've got a death eater running the department of magical law enforcement i thought that's that's ridiculous i had the same reaction as ron i thought oh people would do something but i think we've seen i mean to put too fine a point on it we've seen that's not fucking true <laughs> you know uh
2: yeah people don't stop it like uh it turns out there's virtually no real gatekeepers
0: I need I now see this isn't ridiculous because I'm just using like environmental law as an example coal lobbyists run the entire environmental protection agency and you can look at enforcement actions and I you know I cover this I, uh, in my other job you can you can look at the number of enforcement actions across actually action, not even just environmental law but in a lot of different areas of government and like People have stopped enforcing laws they don't agree with. Or, like, I don't know, like, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau gets, like, Mick Mulvaney in charge of it, who doesn't even think the Bureau should exist. That's fucking wild, you know? And I guess if you think the government needs to be completely deconstructed and reinvented and dismantled, that's a good thing. I mean, I don't personally agree with that, but... I once would have thought that it was that it was just like totally out of the question that you would appoint someone to lead a government agency or bureau that just flatly didn't believe in its mission and wanted to do the opposite. And I now see that that's not true, (laughs) you know, and I I was like, I was weirdly the naive one.
2: Yeah, I think she does a couple of things really well here and to some extent does have a really prescient sense, maybe not prescient, maybe a really historical sense, both backward and forward looking, idea that it's not actually that hard to take over the mouthpieces, and that once you sort of muscle your way in, establishing a sort of, fragile sense of normalcy is pretty doable.
0: Like the mouthpieces of government?
2: And the press. Yeah,
0: Yeah, the apparatus of the state.
2: Right. And
0: people will respect it just because it's there.
2: Or not respect it, but will settle into it as a sort of immutable reality. Right. People are resistant in pockets in Harry Potter, but there is no... There is no successful mechanism for making sure this doesn't happen and again I was not someone when I, I mean I read these when I was a kid and the silent coup of the Death Eaters in the Ministry of Magic did not feel real life to me nor did the idea that people would just sort of go with it and people just sort of go with it. And there are lots of places where in the Wizarding World Obviously, there's an Order of the Phoenix. Obviously, there are many individual resistors, but there isn't a system in place that keeps this from happening with any success.
0: Yeah, I think she understood something about the fragility of democratic norms and institutions that I frankly wouldn't have thought possible until all of our democratic norms and institutions came under under attack and i mean i would say it's not just liberals who think this like there are conservatives who would also say that uh
2: the things we expected to withstand attack don't yeah i think no matter what side of the spectrum you fall on in terms of whether you think that's a good thing or not yeah a lot of the things that we sort of expect a lot of the norms of government that we expected to stand the test of time crumbled incredibly easily with an administration that didn't think they were important and I think JK Rowling has a really good sense of how quickly and how quietly that can happen yeah and I mean obviously the registration of muggle-borns has some really painful corollaries to 2019 politics And I think the thing that she gets at really nicely is the way that you can legitimize those policies not by convincing people that they're right, but by just completely derailing the conversation around them entirely. You're not, they're not interested, the Death Eaters aren't interested in convincing anyone. They are strong arming these policies into effect by blowing up the discourse, which I actually really think is what's happening with, immigration for example it's not nobody's trying to tell us that they're right about immigration they're just trying to blow up the conversation entirely and we don't have to go into the whole politics of immigration policy but the strategy is not facts and a convincing narrative the strategy is a strong-armed sense of fear and dismantling of status quo
0: so Ron is sort of the stand-in, I think, for...
2: The, like, every-man re- reaction. The re- yeah, the
0: reader here. And he has this reaction that is really understandable to this Department of Mysteries study saying that Muggleborns weren't born with magic. They either stole it through subterfuge or by force. And Ron says, well, that's mental. No one would believe that. And the point the point isn't that people believe it because the death eaters aren't actually arguing this in good faith it's obviously trumped up uh the point is just yeah to derail the conversation and to have people of good faith waste their time arguing with this patently with this patently ridiculous assertion well you just go ahead and do the thing you were going to do to do anyway it's to buy enough time to like commit the act basically but there needs to be like enough of a sheen of a discussion or a reason for doing it that it it keeps people busy because people still believe people still believe in the old in the quote right way of doing things unquote enough people still believe in that that they they've missed that the death eaters have just gone their own way with this you know they'll cling They'll cling to the idea that we're going to have an argument about this and, like, right will out.
2: Well, not only that, they've missed that the Death Eaters are Death Eaters. Right. Like, they've missed the entire fact of a hostile takeover. Because they're too busy trying to have a debate that is happening in such bad faith that there's no way to have the debate.
0: And, I mean... People's denial makes a lot of sense because it's horrifying to recognize that, like, the Death Eaters are running the shop here. You know, so people will cling to that, nor that shred of normality, even if it means trying to have debates about things that are, like, frankly, undebatable. Like, it's ridiculous. This idea of Muggles stealing, of Muggleborns like stealing magic, is like outlandish. But
2: People will still engage because they want to live in a society where engaging makes a difference even though we have passed that mark. Like it's
0: like climate change or something. You know, the point isn't... The point's to forestall action through denial
2: or... Right, not to actually convince people that it's not happening. Yeah. Maybe it's to convince some people that it's not happening, but the larger point is just to keep action from taking place yeah. against climate change. You know,
0: and I, I think... In an earlier era, it always sort of blew my mind that autocrats felt the need to legitimize their actions through elections or through, like, show trials or whatever. I always thought, like, why not just do the thing thing you wanted to do? But now (laughs) now I understand, like, a lot better. Another thing...
2: I mean it's a way to gaslight the populace right. just enough so that you don't come up against mass resistance. Right. Yeah, it
0: it it prevents people from organizing collectively because it sows enough confusion and denial and anger. and anger that it prevents it prevents a cohesive opposition from forming. You know, another example of this in these chapters is Harry being wanted for questioning in the death of Albus Dumbledore on the face of it is it's ridiculous and i'm going to go i'm going to go full on read another book here again but like this reminds me of sacking james comey for like fucking over hillary clinton when we know that's not why they fired him
2: well not only like, do we know that's <laughs> not why they fired not only do we know that's not why they fired him we also know that like on balance the death eaters want dumbledore dead and The Republicans wanted Hillary Clinton fucked over. It's like you're punishing him for something that was, like, in your best interest. But now you get to twist into a reason for persecuting. I mean, whatever. James Comey wasn't persecuted. He was fucking fired. Harry's obviously being persecuted. And I mean, you know, there's a
0: lot of reasons to fucking dislike James Comey or from the right and the left, you know. But... I think we can all agree that he wasn't fucking fired for like screwing over Hillary Clinton. We know this because the president of the United States went on television the same week and said I fired him because of the Russia investigation. Like that's that's just what happened. Even if you think the Russia investigation is like ridiculous. Are we getting too political here? I mean, the analogy, the analogy is not like one to one, but this is how governments justify try to justify the unjustifiable.
2: And J.K. Rowling their really, really, really has a finger on the pulse of how this happens in a way that I think is only really coming into full sight lately. Right,
0: yeah. I mean, she's not like the great political philosopher of our age, but I think she tends to get a bad rap.
2: Well, I think she tends to get a bad rap because it is really easy to make very simplistic arguments about the ways in which the kind of like writ large conflict in Harry Potter is just like the conflict in insert nations politics, which I don't, I don't think that is super useful because I don't think the good and evil framing is useful outside of writing for children. But she depicts government in a pretty nuanced way.
0: Yeah, and its uses of disinformation and gaslighting, both from the good ministry before the quote-unquote good ministry, which was actually bad, and this Death Eater installed ministry.
2: Right, and she's also pretty good at depicting how fine the line is Yeah. between a government acting in mostly good faith and being pretty ineffective and a government acting in pretty bad faith and being really effective.
0: And just one more thought about the gaslighting. So, yeah, it it sows enough doubt about Harry Potter to prevent people from coalescing around him. But also, I mean, frankly, gaslighting people and telling blatant untruths is a way of demonstrating power over them. It demoralizes the opposition to just completely like lie through your teeth, frankly,
2: Because then the opposition has to spend a lot of time and energy disputing lies rather than doing what it really needs to do, which is fight the actual systems in power.
0: And it binds your followers closer to you as the strongman by forcing them to stake their credibility defending blatant lies, unless you just resign out of principle, which no one seems to really do anymore, you know?
2: Yeah, there might be some arguments here that are pretty weak, I don't know, but the the emotions I felt reading this chapter were really fresh and really familiar, and I, I think it's hard to argue that there aren't some parallels here, yeah, and they're kind of painful parallels, and it was I found it really deeply uncomfortable to read these chapters because of. A sort of sinking sense of familiarity that I felt. And maybe that's just feeling. Maybe that's just my like emotional experience. And the corollaries are weaker than we think. But reading about the muggle registry. I was like there is something emotionally resonant about the moment that I live in. That is making reading these chapters really (laughs) unpleasant and hard. So I think that's like where I would end it just like it sucks to feel such a sickening familiarity reading about the death eater administration it's really uncomfortable and it made me feel really scared and sad so i'm just maybe i'll just express that as an emotion rather than a hot take
0: obviously we talk about political topics on this podcast because books are political these are political books
2: These are incredibly political books. This is a book about a political movement specifically.
0: Rolling as a political... I try not to indulge in polemics too much or to make this like an anti-Trump podcast or a pro-Democrats podcast. uh, Because I don't think that's what the purpose of this podcast is necessarily.
2: I think I have more complicated feelings about the like us versus them in the real world than I do in Harry Potter. Like I, I don't have a perfect I don't have a perfect sort of like connection between like who the order of the phoenix is and who I might align myself with contemporarily yeah
0: in my work as a journalist I try to be as fair as possible and engage with all the arguments but I think it's very hard to avoid the conclusion that we're in an era globally of rising authoritarianism and disregard for democratic norms and I think I think it's interesting to be reading this book in that time is the only thing.
2: This is really hard. I guess I just want to name having this conversation is really hard because it actually maybe doesn't come across, but I don't want to demonize any, but I don't want to demonize vast swaths of the citizenry of the nation that I live in. And I don't want to call people death eaters. I think that's counterproductive and useless and, 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 Pretty dumb. I agree that like calling like saying conservatives or Death Eaters is like a totally useless and cruel exercise. But there is enough there is enough resonance that it's a really interesting time to be reading Deathly Hallows. I think you're right about that.
0: It's really interesting to be inside the ministry while all this is happening because people are having really disparate reactions to it we get the sense that there is a quote-unquote resistance within the ministry because somebody's put this fucking rainstorm into Yaxley's office. So, you know, there is resistance to this dramatic change in...
2: But it's not effective resistance. In,
0: in the ministry, no. Uh, and, you know, other people are just trying to keep their heads down and survive, which I think that would be most people's reaction, I think. Uh, not all. And then other people are looking for advantage, are jockeying for advantage in it. You know, they're seeing opportunities. So there's, there's the range of reactions to this feels nicely rendered to me. Another thought I had is that this ministry is really different, but how different is it? Actually, they were throwing people in prison without trials before... Uh, the Ministry has not been great. So they've sort of taken this out-of-control apparatus of state and just kind of notched it up to the next level. So I think a lot of wizards might think, like, oh, well, it's totally natural that we would, like, build this, like, fucked-up statue and maybe start m- registering muggle-borns when Scrymgeour was locking people up without trials and...
2: Yeah, you know, Taking I don't think... all these
0: other, like, drastic steps. Like, Dolores Umbridge, like, worked there before. Yeah. When, quote-unquote, good-faith governments or people trying to do the right thing start to bend rules and break norms and undertake questionable policies, they can get abused by their successors.
2: I want to name that this conversation has been really hard for me because, like, let's just be frank for a second and not sort of, like, try to, like, do all these gymnastic permutations to guard ourselves against criticism. It is hell to be alive in 2019 in America. It is fucking terrible every day. And this is really uncomfortable to talk about. And it's really uncomfortable to make these analogies because Harry Potter isn't real. And there are useful political corollaries I think. And I think it's silly to claim that there is nothing that the most popular book in the world other than the Bible can tell us about like how we live contemporarily but also I'm feeling incredibly uncomfortable because I understand why people are like this is not a useful exercise because like Harry wins and I don't know who the fuck is gonna win in the real world and so I'm feeling I just want to name that I'm feeling really sad and that these conversations poke at something really painful about our lives right now and so I don't know that's all I want to say I think making a Harry Potter podcast we've named this before sometimes feels so fucking futile and meaningless when actual life is so utterly unlivably terrible a lot of the time in this day and age for like people other than us right like our discomfort is at the pain and anguish and unlivability of the lives of people with a lot less privileges and cushions than us. So it makes me really sad to talk about this and I think that might be coming through in the way that we're trying to hedge and be careful in this conversation, but like it's fucking horrible right now.
0: And that is my fear. I don't want to trivialize, like, what's happening in this country. It's a really ugly fucking time. And there's a lot of justified fear about what's happening and where we're going.
2: And there's a lot of true anguish in the lives of people who are just way less safe than we are in a million different ways. So you're not, your life is not like a storybook. And I just want to name that. But at the same time, I do think that there are some useful takeaways, and there are some ways in which these books presaged what authoritarianism can look like in this sort of overnight sweep. But I think I, I, I think I, I'm curious about feedback. I'm curious about people's feelings and reactions and thoughts here because I'm feeling really uncomfortable and really uh, sad. This is making me really sad, and this chapter made me really sad.
0: I mean, the books, they gave people a framework for how to think about these things. And I think you need to go beyond a middle grade book for your political education. But I don't think it should ever be... I don't think, like, the power of the metaphors she uses and the resonance of the stories should be discounted.
2: I think that's fair.
0: Yeah. I totally get the read another book, like, reaction because, yeah invoking Harry Potter seems like such an almost infantile <laughs> reaction to maybe the literally or, infantile. Yeah, the life or death the life or death stakes of political struggle in 2019 but I also don't think they have nothing to say.
2: yeah I think that's a fair place to leave it and I think we should just switch gears and I would like to know who's your unsung hero.
0: My unsung hero is Rufus Scrimgeour who dies protecting Harry Potter, and I think that's a true redemption arc, frankly. He said he was on the same side as Harry Potter, and he fucking proved it in the end.
2: Yeah, I think that's totally right. Uh, I think he was a complicated character, but he went out swinging. It's
0: really sad. It showed that he was truly anti-Voldemort.
2: Yeah, yeah. And not just out for power, but really on the side of good.
0: Yeah, and... In a
2: complicated way. Yeah, yeah. My unsung hero is Hermione's handbag, which by my understanding is like a bejeweled clutch that you could carry to a wedding and is, in a word, clutch. <laughs> really helping us out on a lot of different fronts. Putting the putting the Phineas Nigellus portrait in there is inspired. I love the clamorous clank it makes whenever she puts it down on the table because in reality it weighs like 900 pounds and i'm just really proud of her for making this fundamental like i'm really proud of her for making this profoundly useful magical object so i guess it's also hermione but specifically the bag this week's
0: episode is brought to you by puking pastilles you can only ever have just one and not even one really it touches his tongue and this guy immediately starts projectile vomiting catamole poor man Fred and George made these too strong.
2: Yeah, these work too well. This
0: scene is revolting. I mean, just like, even as a way to get out of class, if you fucking took one of these and you just immediately start vomiting everywhere.
2: Yeah, that's gross. I mean, he
0: fucking vom- there's like gallons of vomit on the street in this chapter. It's like some body horror.
2: Well, you'd make yourself even- you'd make yourself actually sick by like dehydrating yourself. I think- The point of getting out of class isn't so that you actually have to go to the hospital wing. Yeah. So I I do think that these are a little bit much. (laughs) The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows by J.K. Rowling. You might have some e-owls that you want to send us this week. If that is the case, you can email us at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us otherwise on social media, at Quibbler Podcast, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please rate, review, subscribe, you know the drill. We're on Spotify now so you can find us there as well as the other usual suspects. And um, we have a great newsletter which is tinyletter.com slash Quibbler Podcast. So lots of ways to stay engaged even as we do the episodes slightly less frequently. Once again, as a reminder, we're going bi-weekly.
0: Definitely sign up for the newsletter. Contains commentary on Easter eggs in the episode, book recommendations, and as always, owl news. Lots of good stuff there. And we're sending it out pretty regularly now. So look at us go. We're finally getting a hang of the podcasting
2: thing. (laughs) In book seven. Next time, we will be reading the chapters called The muggle Registration Commission and The Thief. So, we might have our thoughts a little more in order at that point, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks,
0: amigos!
1: Will you stop it? Sorry, sorry. I don't know I'm doing it. Well, can't you find something useful to occupy yourself? What? Like reading kids' stories. Dumbledore left me this book, Ron, and he left me the Deluminator. Maybe I'm supposed to use it. Oh, hello, Mafalda. Hello, said Hermione in a quavery voice. How are you today?
2: Better, better?
0: Better get a bucket on a throw
1: up. I'm sorry to hear you're under the weather. Here, yeah, have a sweet.